Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reinsurance Podcast. I am your co-host, Jared Lee. And I'm Ben Rose. Here we are, brought to you live from... Well, not actually live for you. Presumably. <laughs> it's live for us. Live for us. <laughs> <laughs> brought to you at a time convenient to you from wherever you are on whatever device you're listening mm. on. To us. There should have been a to us somewhere in that sentence. Yeah. Anyway. That's weird. Like, it's it'd be fun to get a snapshot of where people are, what people are doing when they listen to our podcast. I know we have one person who does it in the, sh- like, they put, like, we're their pod, their shower podcast. Chris. Hang on, what? How do you listen to a podcast in the shower? Firstly, it. showers are noisy, and secondly, wet, which is I can only assume risky. he's got some sort of high-tech audio situation in his bathroom. Waterproof speaker system. Yeah. Someone else oh. is in an overly crowded, overly hot London tube network. Yeah. Apologize to you, sir. Somebody making dinner. Yeah. I did meet somebody the other day who came up to me and hugged me and said, I listen to your voice every night before I go to sleep. <laughs> She's like, I make it through the first intro. I barely make it through the tangent. <laughs> By the time you're done rambling, I'm well asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently we're being played as sort of background content in some lifts or elevators. That's, that's I would love that things. if you and went into it. Massage parlors, waiting rooms <laughs> at dentists, world around. Yeah, yeah. That'd yeah. be it. that would be very funny. There was um royalty free content. <laughs> <laughs> Are we royalty free? No, we're not royalty free. I'm being told if if you use this content in a public setting without our permission, then you do so at your own risk. Yeah. And we probably don't have the resources to come after you. But we probably don't really care that we're much. We're probably either. very flattered. If you're broadcasting us at your <laughs> at your cafe. <laughs> it's a very niche cafe. Oh, but if there was a reinsurance cafe, that would be cool. You could you could actually use it for brokers and underwriters to meet, and then they could gradually establish a system of etiquette that becomes. We would exclusively the basis of the sell your wholemeal vegan blueberry croissants. I hope so. That's I mean, all I would expect. The only item else. that we sell at this cafe, and we could call it Floyd's. <laughs> gradually, it would gain a reputation as the center for complex yeah. reinsurance risks, and yeah. eventually get some special licenses that mean we can't be sued and can't. <laughs> Uh, be replaced anyway just possibly long. one of our strongest tangents to start an episode in a not in a long while certainly longest mm-hmm. <laughs> um but i thought we would uh sort of going through the recaps of, of one ones and one fours and one sevens all now behind us um we've been sort of engaging with people around the market and the big points of questions especially the younger uh audience is asking is like how can rates just jump as much as they do like 20, 30, 40% year-over-year rate increases. And I thought it might be interesting for us to spend a bit of time kind of identifying, like, how can that happen, right? Like, it's broadly the same risk and the same client, but a a 40% uplift on their spend is huge. Again, we've talked about a client spending $500 in a year. Like, a 40% uplift is moving numbers quite a lot if if that's what's happening. And it's funny, isn't it, because we are working – uh, are often finding these trends in classes of business which are relatively commoditized and have a pretty large amount of historical data associated with them. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's not, it shouldn't really be the case that between the year 2020 and 2021, for example, the data set of how frequently did hurricanes happen, you know, was suddenly changed forever. Uh, in terms of you know how many hurricanes happened and how frequently like even if you had a massive hurricane in 2021 if you've got hurricane data since 1900 then 
no biggie, right? The probability of a hurricane is still pretty similar. But as you said, somehow it's like, oh, no, it's actually half as half the times more likely. So we thought we'd dive into why that actually does happen and does weirdly make sense yeah. uh, for our market, at least. Yeah. So we'll touch on kind of the the broader market cycles. Um, we'll talk about sort of capacity constraints and other types of things. Um, let's start there with with the cycl- cyclical nature of reinsurance markets. And for for many listeners, they may have only ever experienced a soft market, right, where capacity continued to come in and general supply and demand economics meant that pricing would was gradually coming down. And and it was pretty expect, expected that the deal you're going to write this year would be a few percentage points cheaper than what you bought it for last year. And that was just the way the market was sort of continuing. And there was the old guys in the corner of the office shouting about the hard markets that they'd experienced before. But for a couple of decades, we didn't really have one besides a couple classes following maybe 9-11 or something, right? Um, and that's beginning to change now. Yeah, and there's probably some listeners out there thinking, I finally beginning to understand through the, the magical edutainment of the reinsurance podcast mm-hmm. that the hard market is not just an Instagram account that I should oh, follow. You should right. follow it, though. <laughs> if you have Instagram, the hard market is very, very clever. If. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, yes, yeah, so th- this this concept, as Jared said, of, of soft markets and hard markets, uh, primarily driven, I would say, by capacity mm-hmm. constraints, right? So... We had a prolonged uh, soft market cycle for a number of years, largely tied into interest rates. Mm. Uh, so it was very difficult for pools of capital uh, in general to earn substantial returns uh, and to diversify away from traditional assets. And so uh, for quite a long period of time, insurance as an asset class, the risk of bad stuff happening, I was seen as quite unrelated to other investments and therefore quite a nice diversifier. Non-correlating. Non-correlating, exactly. And equally, uh, one which in some cases promised quite good returns, you know, that were better than, you know, completely zero interest rates in some cases or even negative in in some areas, right? So if you could put your money into insurance, uh, that was actually quite attractive as an alternative. The result being that we had loads and loads of reinsurance capacity available in the market, loads of insurance capacity, new firms popping up all the time. Uh, and that made it a very competitive market. So people basically trying to undercut each other mm-hmm. in order to get access to business, very, very hungry mouths, all wanting a share of everybody's reinsurance program. Uh, and as a result, brokers having a field day yeah. when it came to placing a deal and almost out-competing each other again, Brokers popping up everywhere and saying, use us, we'll be able to save you, you know, 50% on your reinsurance spend by gradually pressuring the market. Well, and in the brokers um, specifically, there was there was very little sort of giving power to bigger firms in those conditions because the capacity was so prevalent and those relationships were there. Like the, the leverage, the leverage that the broker would have in negotiations wasn't really as needed because those deals are good deals and they're making money and there's capital everywhere when the market hardens that changes quite quickly right and the the strength of the bigger firms and the the depth of the books that they bring to the market actually carry a lot of weight and a lot of influence but you're right so you'd see this influx of of new parties and new participants in those soft market conditions 
But, but I think even in the soft market, they had a huge role to play in driving down those rates, right? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you want a piece of this, well, you know, you're going to have to also take some of that and the other and so on. Yep. And it became this real test of relationships, especially towards the end uh, of that soft market cycle where firms that had been trading uh, on a, you know, cedent to reinsurer or broker to reinsurer, cedent to broker kind of style for decades or even generations were faced with the difficult decision of potentially coming off business mm-hmm. because the rates had just gotten too low. You know, I remember in Canada, for example, when we had the Fort McMurray wildfires, one of the worst uh, events to affect the Canadian market uh, on the property side for a really long time. Uh, many of the insurer insurers who had massive losses uh, because of the soft market conditions were able to come back to renewals after those events at a flat rate. And all the reinsurers were sat there thinking, oh, we thought we'd get a bit of payback and, you know, be able to replenish our losses a little bit, given we've just done this massive payout. But the brokers were adamant, no, no, that's the market conditions. If you want to be on the panel still, yeah. that's the price. Yeah. Uh, so it is a, a tough line for, yeah. for reinsurers that they've followed this for a long time. But things have changed. Things have changed. Well, and I think on the back of all that, the reinsurers were paying attention to the difficulties that they're having and they they would pay big losses and get flat rate in return. They would um, constantly be, or every sort of year, couple of years agreeing new, more onerous terms on them or generous terms to the clients, more, you know, more coverage for less premium for years and years and years. And there was very little they could do to push back on it besides just not writing deals and choosing not to take the premium income. Um, as interest rates began to rise, you saw a little bit of capital choosing to go elsewhere. Um, you had some very large losses, and then you had a number of the big players like begin to sort of shift where the market was going to be. And obviously, the, the prices have now moved quite a lot, and some of that third-party capital has left. Um, so you, you're seeing it now where there's a number of factors in the Mike Sensor podcast. We talk a bit about it as well, but there's a lot of, uh, a lot of power that the reinsurers now hold. And it's, it's not that they're sort of getting back at the market. They're very much trying to position themselves as we need to reestablish what proper pricing is on these deals, um, which feels like a huge jump, but if you have supply and demand economics in play and you have these other things that are happening, they can say, this is what we can afford to do on these deals. And the seedings and the brokers don't have anywhere else really to go besides accepting the terms that are being laid out for them. And I think it's interesting, right? So what we've mostly focused on so far in this conversation of hard and soft markets has been supply and demand mm-hmm. and the extent to which capital is available and willing to participate or is not. I But I think in particular over the last three or four years, arguably, despite my comment at the beginning of the episode, we have seen the risk change mm-hmm. in a lot of areas. Things that we thought unthinkable have happened. I, For example, I think, you know, probably people have heard this hundreds of times for the last, you know, couple of years, but I, the pandemic, you know, where did that come from? All of a sudden that's completely changed the world around us, how we operate, where we work and live and uh, the probability that something that world-changing might happen again. Mm. Uh, the war in Ukraine, you know, the first war in Europe for generations that shows no sign of stopping and has embroiled all sorts of assets and businesses and individuals' lives in a you know 
horribly transformational way to a risk profile. And then, of course, the other big elephant lurking in the room, climate change. Mm. You've had all of a sudden the sort of financial world turn around and say this thing that we've been denying for forever and ever and claiming isn't really a thing. Actually, it's a thing that we are acknowledging is real and that we have data on. And actually, it's something we haven't been pricing for yeah. historically. Yeah. Uh, so we now need to radically change the way we look at the probability of natural catastrophes. Uh, and not just natural catastrophes, by the way. That's the tip of the iceberg. That's the obvious bit sticking out of the water. Uh, if you've got radical changes to uh, climate, I mean, we talk a lot about trying to avoid the world uh, going above its one and a half degree yeah. changes, right? We're looking at how much of the world is going to be underwater, you know, in 2050, how much yeah. of uh, certain regions are going to be unsustainable in terms of water supply, in terms of businesses being able to operate, in terms of weather conditions that just kill people because it's too hot too frequently for an ever aging population. Yeah. The world is arguably riskier increasingly urban populations people are still growing uh, rapidly in areas where resources aren't there to support them i yeah it's it's yeah. it's a different world and i think the capital providers had enough time during the soft market to realize that they weren't getting the returns from uncorrelated insurance risk yeah. to spook them and now getting them back is coming with the caveat that you better be pricing in for the fact that this is not the world of the, the happy clappy years yeah. that went before. Well, I think with, especially with those last few points, you had it where for the last several years, there's a bit of forward looking going, the world is changing. And all of a sudden, I think off the back of some rate changes and some other things, there was this recalibration moment where people go, the world has changed. Yeah. Right. It's not like it will be, we'll sort of slow, gently move our way towards something else. It's gone. No, it's looking back now and, and the impact of going, we've had the sort of hurricane data from 1900, um, and this is, oh, but those 1 in 100, 1 in 251, and 500 events are now like twice a year. And and all of a sudden, there's this recalibration of going, and it feels like we will expect it to be of increased frequency and increased severity, um, and we need to be pricing for that way more aggressive than we have been doing. And... And because this this sort of lurch has happened so quickly, I think you're seeing this um, this response that, especially if we use like Florida as an example, rate shift that's so high, but now the regulator is scrambling to figure out how they can afford to not have yeah. homeowner premiums triple. Um, and, and that's already a state where homeowner's insurance is huge in Florida compared to anywhere else, which it it's how the market has to afford that they you know yeah, yeah. the system has to work. But um, if you already have extortionate homeowners premiums that already already require government intervention to help try to keep them at a, a reasonable level, but the reinsurance now there is is also going to go up 50 percent. Like all of this is causing just this this knock on effect that everyone's kind of scrambling about. But um, yeah, so you're you're seeing the the world shift there and the prices go quite you know quite a step change up from what's what it, expect. it's interesting how you positioned it as the the world has changed mm -hmm. rather than is is changing i think that's i mean i, I think i'm writing you, you having some psychological credentials uh, mm -hmm. of, of your university is i uh, but it feels like our market as a whole 
is quite responsive to black swan events, world-changing events that change the general perception of uncertainty, uh, not least because it impacts the money mm. at, at the source, right? Uh, we're an industry that depends on people being willing to give money to us uh, to generate a return. That's even if you're a, an equity, you know, balance sort of sort of balance sheet reinsurer mm. you still need people to believe that reinsurance is a business worth doing for your stock to have value yeah. um or obviously in the sort of third party instruments and so on that's a bit more transactional but you're dependent on people believing that the world is a certain enough place for providing insurance and reinsurance to be a sensible thing to be doing i think we've seen a few events uh, over history that have really challenged those assumptions so if we look back there's only one of these every 15 years or so but mm. 1992 being one where you know hurricane andrew i want to say there we are i think that i was let's just say i was very young at the time someone in britain was like <laughs> andrew you idiot yeah. <laughs> um yeah i think it's andrew yeah it just changed everybody's entire perception of what damage could be done yeah by a hurricane 9-11 then i the beginning of the millennium completely changed everybody's understanding of what could happen to skyscrapers mm -hmm. uh, and that created a whole new market but for a while it was like if that can happen then anything can happen mm. where we've just seen a pandemic i think pandemic is probably the most interesting one here because i that was so world-changing right when suddenly we found ourselves locked in our own homes unable to go out unable to live normal lives faced with the prospect of death yeah. you know the world around that changes everybody's perception for like oh okay how how predictable is the world over the next two years three years five years ten years and the answer that most people would give now has changed to what they would have given pre-pandemic mm. and they're getting validation on that position when things like a war in ukraine happens out of the blue or yeah. when you know climate change suggests that everything's going to be very different when interest rates suddenly start soaring ask futurists as we have previously claimed <laughs> to be you know what they think is going to happen in the world in the next 10 years and they're like oh i, I can do the next three months yeah but good luck to you you know we, we're sat as well on things like chat gpt ai offering this whole new potential future we're sat with cyber risk uh, as some giant bubble that's not yet really gone off as a, mm. a potentially catastrophic event uh but I think people are more aware that the unexpected things could happen. Not necessarily yeah. will, but could happen at any moment. Yeah. And it's going to be the reinsurance industry that's potentially sat holding the bill at the end. Yeah. Well, and, and we talked about in one of our earliest episodes, the sort of what makes reinsurance great. And like what is it and where does it sit? And it is that sort of backstop for like economies and mm. society, right? It's, it's the thing that keeps, the thing that protects everyone afloat. And... And that value is immense that we provide. But you're exactly right with your last comment is that means that if it all goes sideways, hmm. the industry sort of left holding the bill at the end will be reinsurance. Yeah. Right? Where so if we don't get these other things calibrated up front and through it, this is an industry that's set there to be that backstop but like it's mm. not a charity <laughs> and and if it sits there and goes oh my these are mm. we can only you know 
hold this position for so long without making sure that we can make sure this is sustainable. So I think it's this recognition in some ways that in this new world that has now existed, like if we want to remain as this backstop and this um, institutional framework that supports everything else, it has to be a case where we can make sure it works and it stays in place. Otherwise it will be, yeah. you know, a chaotic end to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, it's it, when you're and you're watching this all happen out, kind of play out in real time, which it feels because the world paused for like a year and a half, this change has felt very, very abrupt now. And I think the reason it has this sense of, drama and panic to it is it was sort of business as usual a few things were watching and it was still slowly evolving and then it like world paused as like everything went to chaos and there's all these weirdness where you had like very few motor claims during the pandemic but like all manner of other things happening quite a lot and then we've come out of that to a newly recalibrated position and over the last two years now it's gone very very different direction um so that feels like a whiplash for a lot of people. Absolutely. I think it's it's always interesting to watch the parallels with the venture world as well. Right? Mm-hmm. Those people watching, I, you know, startup and technology stocks and things, they've had a really similar sort of weird blend of optimism and pessimism. You know, initially the pandemic is like, oh, okay, the future world, we don't know if anything's going to exist anymore. Half our investments just beforehand that were super punchy and excited about mm-hmm. how this rally of the stock markets was looking. I, up until that point, was like, oh, hang on, the world is now a different place. But then, oh, the world is potentially going to be a different place. Yeah. Loads of excitement. And then, oh, maybe not as different as we thought. Yeah. And then actually, at a point now where, admittedly, largely due to inflation and interest rates, again, caused by the same events that we already touched on, I people are less excited, I would say, now about the world of tomorrow mm. because they're a little more scared. Hence, that, would you agree? I yeah. would agree. And the fact you've said that, and I've agreed, it, it, as everyone knows, we don't rehearse these podcasts. Okay. I feel a bit sad about that, but I think you're spot on, right? I think this, whilst we have ChatGPT, we have this sort of excitement about what we can do there. There is a weird forward looking of like, uh, not really looking and talking about like what could happen in 10 or 15 years and the sort of exciting new horizons. And I think there is this aggregation of um, drama that still exists, whether it's post-pandemic sort of hangovers that people are still carrying and everyone's trying to calibrate to new ways of working and hybrid models and all these Mm -hmm. things are happening. And you've got, as you said, war breaking out now. And we've got, it feels like everyone's kind of in a little bit of a anxious state of let's just live for the next six to 12 months and then recognize where we go from there we'll we'll cross bridges when we get to them um yeah it's it is a bit of a depressing world we're in at the minute with some of these things we'll have to see where it goes i think nobody as far as i can remember i've not seen any projections as to how long they think a hardening market will persist i yeah you know typically most younger professionals in our industry won't have seen a real sustained hard market. Yeah. I, because the soft market cycle was so long and whenever you did have a slight uptick, it was quickly followed by a resumption. Is yeah. That a, is that a word? Resuming again? Yeah. Now, let's, let's use resumption. resumption. I like it. A resumption of <laughs> a 
the former trend of, of sort of gradually declining prices. Yeah. I, so, yeah, I'm curious to see how long industry commentators think this hardening mm. might continue uh, because obviously hardening rates are attracting new cap capacity providers over time. We didn't see the class of 2022 emerge uh, as some a, people hoped. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise from my perspective as I, we had commentated previously, but was fully expecting to see sort of a, at least a handful kind of like net new. Yeah. Um, and we didn't get that. I think that might have largely been just because retro capacity wasn't there to support it either, right? Possible. So you would have been going in yeah, kind of net. Which <laughs> <laughs> is a, a scary, <laughs> scary initial. Yeah, play not for, for the faint of heart. <laughs> um, but I think that is coming back a bit now. So we'll, we'll see yeah. to what extent, I guess, new capacity is able to come in. And, and when money, when deals, when markets can in start, or pricing starts to harden and deals start to come in, I do think you'll see inevitably that return of capital. Even in a higher interest rate environment, I don't think you'll see the amount of capital that we had when it was zero or negative, okay. as you said, but it will start to encourage, like, there's still enough there. It's at least worth the diversification across other things. So I do think you'll see um, a bit more of an uptick. And I guess what, what might, again, this is now, branching beyond my credentials as an economist, which, which are non-existent, but the, uh, the thing that I think we might see is because of interest rates, sorry, because of inflation in particular, mm -hmm. I, we may well see that even where capacity does jump in to accommodate or to, to take advantage of, sorry, the, uh, rate, the rate rises, it still might not be quite enough to keep up with demand. Because yeah. demand for reinsurance has shot up as, you know, potential claims costs uh, soar in terms of inflated values of properties, etc. I, and similarly, that means that uh, every time you add more capacity into the market, it's it's already been swallowed up by a hungry yeah. world of insurers who are a little bit more exposed than they'd like to be right now. Yeah, we um in our challenges cedence face episode, um, we talked about hypotheticals of like our clients over indexed mm -hmm. to a certain broker or a certain reinsurer or similar is the industry over indexed to the united states there's some real inflation movement there the huge amount of claims there, like but almost like so much of the premium sits there that if if more capacity comes into the market the u.s risks are hoovering it up where you're still like I mean, I mean, I could not help but answer your question with a question, which is, is the world over-indexed to the US? <laughs> Valid point. Right? Like, yeah. I, I would say yes, but that's with insurance being no exception to the general yeah. economy. Right? Sure. The, with the dollar, with I, ever since Bretton Woods, you yeah. know, there's been sort of a financial system geared around the US. And it yeah. is, you know, 50% of Lloyd's business here in London. Yeah. It's I, the largest insurance market in the world yeah. and will be for the foreseeable future. I think we've yeah. seen other markets growing to catch up with it to mm -hmm. some extent, but it, it is the heart of the market. Yeah. So. When you think yeah. about things like inflation or property values or, you know, mm -hmm. the cost of repair and, you yeah. know, all of these cla in, in claims, all these things that have knock-on effects in our industry, mm -hmm. if, it's, if it's happening in some of the biggest hotspots in the U.S., it just carries with it this sort of yeah. knock-on effect worldwide that that you see which is a bit a bit crazy yeah uh whew. So, that's a 
a dark and scary episode. <laughs> it's like anybody who's listening to this just before they go to sleep at the beginning of the episode. Be Hopefully like they fell asleep. Curling during... up with a teddy bear. Like, Hopefully shivering, they fell asleep like... during the tangent. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a lighter note we can add to this uh, to sort of make the world feel like a happier place going forwards? You can. The fact that we almost certainly haven't already missed our climate targets. No, no, that's not going to be no, good. No. I, something must be going well in the world to come. The good news is, is that anybody who does start a new insurance company, reinsurance company, insurtech startup, breaker, etc., they get the fun of naming their new company for the yeah. era to come. So I'm, yeah. I'm excited to see some new names out there. Soon. Well, yeah. And if they follow the naming conventions of other startups, letters and word form don't even apply anymore. <laughs> you, can, you can smash together all manner of chaotic <laughs> letters and symbols. You can name it like an Elon Musk child. Yeah. Uh, Which is... What are they called? I don't know. What's that? What's, what's the... Uh... GDPR. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was... Um, what was someone... Else? This is a, this is a shouting into the headset moment for some some listeners. But Elon Musk, Musk named their youngest child something. It was like there's like Greek symbols and things in it. And it was... And I was like, what is the, what is this word? And... and Alpha and Musk, Omega Musk. Something like this. No, but it was like, it was like a full... It was like an amalgam of... English and Greek characters in this sort of. I don't have a thing for Corey to, to tell me the answer. So, oh, you look it up. Oh, it's. I don't. Good have gracious! That. So it's X, the A E combo sound, whatever that is. A. Oh no! Wait a minute. Hang on. But it's got X's in it, X and he's building I, I. X the everything app. So his child is named after the. Yeah, with so it's him and Gray. Oh, okay. This is this is now a very odd tangent. You are still listening to the Reinsurance <laughs> Podcast, if you haven't tuned out, where we talk regularly about the names of celebrities' babies. <laughs> I I can't think of a reinsurance angle on that, except that at a networking event, the Chartered Insurance Institute, just yesterday evening, I, I did meet somebody who had met Elon Musk really? uh, more than 10 years ago when they were first thinking about how they would build rockets. Yeah. I'd uh, say, so, yeah, small yeah. world, really. Yeah. You, if you're in space insurance, you get to meet yeah. exciting Twitter celebrities. <laughs> well, soon to be former Twitter, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the company that was previously Twitter could <laughs> resign to the annals of history at some point. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, what a what a tangent to end on. Indeed. Anything well, we want to... Any parting wisdom for our... Maybe you should just click on the next episode first. <laughs> just get this over just, with. <laughs> just, just hit next and we'll see you on the next episode of the Reinsurance Podcast. Until next time. Thanks, everyone. Ha, 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 ha.